back to another episode of the Pit Stop Podcast presented by the Ordinary Podcasting Network. I'm Braden. I'm here with Jordan and Tyler. Uh, guys, this race last weekend at Silverstone might end up being my favorite race of all season. Uh, it was a very dramatic race. Lots to talk about. Carlos Sainz finishing P1 for the first time in his career. Perez storming back to finish P2. And the hometown legend, Lewis Hamilton, finishing P3. Uh, like I said, we have lots to talk about uh, between qualifying and the race itself at Silverstone. But before all that, there was some drama off the track leading up to the weekend as some controversial comments came out from former F1 driver Nelson Piquet. Jordan, do you want to fill us in with what exactly happened here and where we are at now? Sure. Uh, and I think it's good to start with because it obviously is the it, it's the storyline that led us into what was a great weekend. And it added to the storyline specifically, obviously, for Lewis being at home. Um, but yeah, uh, three time world champion Nelson Piquet. Uh, he had he done an interview last season during the obviously very tense Hamilton Verstappen rivalry. Um, he has obviously some personal uh, interest in seeing Max succeed as his daughter is Max's girlfriend, but he is a bit of a controversial figure to begin with. Um, and he had an interview at, with a Brazilian um, for a Brazilian documentary, I guess, last year, and it just aired recently. And he dropped the Portuguese version of the N word multiple times in re- reference to Lewis Hamilton. Um, and obviously immediately following this, there was an out, out, uproar and outrage from around the um, racing world, the formula one world, the formula one and uh, the FIA, obviously condemning these, this language, um, stating obviously that they stood with Lewis and, and, and against this kind of hatred and, and ugliness. And, and then it became sort of this very, uh, tricky dance for Red Bull, because obviously, as I said, you know, there's this, uh, difficult uh, personal situation max did say he didn't think that the language was correct although he also said that he didn't think nelson was a racist um thought that that was a step too far that he had just made a poor choice of language the unfortunate part for max and for any of the defenders i guess of nelson Piquet is that this is now a pattern of behavior uh he has also now been just in the last day it's come out that there's also footage of him making homophobic slurs against lewis hamilton um there's also comments he made uh that are just completely uh, disgusting when you think about the context of it, talking about uh, Art and Senna who died in a race car, uh, another Brazilian. So he's not a particularly um, redeeming character at this point. He's, he's, he's not doing himself any favors. And the more that we hear uh, out of his mouth, the worse it seems to get. Point being, it did set up this very interesting storyline going into the weekend because obviously Lewis got a lot of attention from the media and all of these things. Um, but Formula One, like all sports, is not immune from uh, racism. And I think it was important that, you know, we pointed out that how, how awful it was. And I'm glad to see the almost unanimous support for Lewis and more importantly, for just being anti-racist in and amongst the sport, because this is a sport that needs to continue to push to, to try to be more diverse. So let's jump right into qualifying. Um, once again, we saw a very wet race, a wet qualifying race. Um, uh, Tyler, what were your initial thoughts here on, on the excitement of qualifying? Uh, it's, I mean, anytime you have a wet qualifying, it does lead to more excitement. And in particularly just to go to the most exciting part of it was when there was super wet in qualifying three, when there was just the 10 drivers left, but usually you see one fast lap and then a slowdown lap or the guys going to the pit for five minutes, but because the course was drying so rapidly with four minutes left, it was every, every race or sorry, every lap was a, um, a flying lap, a lap that was 
they're they're going for it. They're trying to get another qualifying time in, which is very rare. But because the because it was drying so quickly, every time was getting a little faster and a little faster and a little faster. So nobody could really afford um, not to do it. There was one driver I forget who it was now. It might have been Lando Norris who was upset because his team was making him take cooldown laps. Yeah. And so after he was like, "Why are we? Why did you guys have me doing cooldown laps?" Everyone was Ocon right now. It was Ocon. That's right. Yes. And you could sense his frustration, and it, he's absolutely right. Like every everybody was doing lap after lap after lap, and it was very exciting right down to the end. It was awesome. And uh, Latifi, I believe, was also in qual- uh, qualifying three, which is awesome to see. Yeah, I think first time all well, certainly all season. Uh, mm-hmm. But in, as long as I've ever watched F one, I don't think I I ever recall Latifi being. He's been there once before, but it's never been better than tenth. So this is just his second yeah. time. Definitely first time this season, and without question, Nicholas Latifi's best showing uh, all season. Um, now that's a low bar, but regardless, <laughs> uh, I'm trying not to shit on him, but it it was. I mean, he had he a had good, a good weekend. He had a good, had a good weekend. weekend. Leave it he at did. that. Yeah, he did. Before um, we, because we don't, I don't think we'll ever talk about Latifi again for the rest of this, but he, he had well, a decent weekend. He just finished like just outside the points, 12, I yeah. believe. And, but he had, he wasn't the worst driver out there. No. I and think. to be fair, uh, he's one of those drivers. We talked a little bit about this uh, in Toronto, or pardon me, in Montreal as well, when, when we're dealing with wet qualifying. Some of these drivers just really seem to be able to find um, the best out of their cars. And that and Latifi has been one of those guys who uh, throughout his career has been, you know, pretty decent in the rain. He's not been as good as his fellow countryman Lance Stroll, who's usually great in the rain, but, when, but Latifi what enjoyed the rain. Yeah. What happened to Stroll? He didn't even wow. get out of Q1. No, neither, neither of the However, he's had any finished pace, 11th, just outside the points. So yeah, was able to climb race is a different bit. story. But to go from like Canadian wet uh, qualifying where Stroll did fairly well to yeah. another wet qualifying where he was completely like nowhere near had the pace. It was it was strange to see that Stroll wasn't better out there in the wet qualifying day. Yep, for sure. And I think qualifying this time around was also a great, there was a great storyline at the top because even in Montreal, we saw that the Red Bulls have had great speed, even in the rain, they've been able to find some of that success, but you know, it didn't at any point feel like Verstappen was dominating the way he usually has. The times were getting quicker, but the Ferraris were right there with him. And it was, it was important to see that not only, you know, we already mentioned that signs wins the race, but it's, it was also his, I believe his first pole. So for him to get his first pole and his first victory in 150 Grand Prix, I mean, this is not a, he's not the youngest driver out there. There are, you know, he's, he's considered a veteran by any standard. Um, He's worked really hard to get to where he is. He gets his first pole and put in a great lap, but it was funny because uh, if you heard the radio call after when the team engineer came on, cause he wasn't the last guy to cross the line. So obviously he was waiting to see what the other times would come in with. And uh, as they realized that they had, they had, secured pole they radioed him and said hey that's p1 and he kind of responded almost sheepishly being like wow i didn't think i drove that well like that's great he was almost surprised by it which is maybe a telling for for what the eventuality of the race would be that it it didn't it wasn't a dominating win signs just did enough yeah and it was like verstappen was the quicker car i'd say in qualifying but his second last qualifying lap when the track was drying out he did that 360 spin and saved it really well um and then the next lap, he, he was slow in sector two, and he just kind but of lost also, it in the turn. He but. also made a mistake in quality too. Like it was yep. not usually Max Verstappen from start to finish on Saturday. If he's going to dominate, he's going to dominate all the way through. He's just dialed in. But he, yeah, it, he just he he looked sloppy. Let's put it that way. Like it just mm-hmm. wasn't as uh, tight a performance as we traditional see. And obviously, you know, 
it cost him in qualifying and eventually in the race for different reasons, but. Well, let's, let's jump right to the race here then. Yeah. I mean, Carlos Sainz, I, we got to talk about this. What a great story. He, he really battled to, to, to win this. It wasn't one of those situations where he was, you know, he got pole in qualifying and then led the race the whole way. He lost uh, P1, like right at the top of the yeah. race. And then, you know, then we all got red flag. Red flag. And that second, on that second um, restart for the lap, like the lap two restart after that massive crash, that was when Signs had his best driving. Like he was aggressive. He pushed Verstappen basically off the road on that start, mm-hmm. like right away, it went right at him. And it's like, no, you're not getting it this time. I'm taking this. And that was what he was like all weekend, or sorry, uh, all Sunday was like, I'm not going to lose this race. Like he had, there was some factors, like I think lap 31, they made Leclerc uh, pass science just because he was a faster car. But then for the Ferraris at the end to, redi- oh, we could, okay. <laughs> we always talk about Ferrari strategy. And this was the craziest, dumbest strategy that they've had all season is to not, well, one, not have Leclerc also switch his tires, which I get their reasoning was, that um, they, they didn't want to do a double stop. They didn't have time. They would have lost too much time for signs. But to then ask signs to hold everybody else up 10 car lengths so that Leclerc has a better chance of winning the race is so stupid and such an insult to signs. And then, so thank God with signs being like, I'm winning this race. Like just the frustrations of almost getting there, almost getting there, him going, I'm not doing that. Don't ask me to do that. I'm, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to win this race. And then it was just excitement for the next 10 laps. And, this race specifically, there was teammates, almost every, uh, every team out there was at one point driving and fighting each other for place without any rule or regulation beside it. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're on it. So why don't we dig into the Ferrari thing? I mean, it was already evident from the last two races that, you know, Leclerc has had some struggles or he's had some bad luck and it, it's kind of a role reversal from what we saw earlier in the season where he was the one dominating and Carlos was struggling. Carlos has really come into form, obviously mm-hmm. pushing max for the last, what, seven or eight laps of Canada and really pushing for an opportunity there showing that he has the, that sort of like attack dog strategy when he's in a position to go and get a win, you know, if he can get the car to do what he needs it to do, he's a very, very competent and very competitive driver. That is mm-hmm. what Ferrari signed him for. Yes. And he has struggled a little bit to get there. He's gotten there. And now we're seeing, I think, peak uh, signs. And this weekend showed that, as I said, a little bit kind of, I don't know, surprised by the result in, in qualifying. But the minute he was on pole, he knew what he had to do. And he went out there and did the best he could from start to finish. He had some as, as you acknowledge, some interesting strategic choices, but they gave him a fair shot even in that, even in that two, two team fight there or two internal two, two driver fight when they were tra- chasing Dan Hamilton for all those laps where, you know, I think they gave him like three laps where they set him a time and he only missed one of them. Like he had got the other two, which is why they kept them there, even with Leclerc whining and whining in the background. Mm-hmm. And Carlos is like, all right, I need to do a, a 123. I'll do a 123. And he got that. And then it was next. Yeah, you got to take an extra half second off or whatever. And eventually it was clear that Leclerc had a little more pace. Um, and so they they inverted them. But even then, Carlos didn't just sort of go, well, there's my 
my chance at a victory. He stuck with it. He stayed with it. He got lucky or they made a mistake in that strategy. I'm not, I, I, it, for me, it could go either way. It looked like there was a, a split second decision that Ferrari got wrong in terms of trying yeah. to hold track position for Leclerc. Um, but obviously science is the benefactor of that. And then, as you say, when that radio call came in, I was so frustrated oh. hearing it as a fan, because for me, number one, let's be honest, my, my my interest in that moment was to see Hamilton succeed as a fan yeah. of Hamilton. Yeah. I wanted Hamilton to succeed. And so I'm thinking in my mind, well, don't back us off. Like that would be worse for everybody. Mm-hmm. But equally, I was thinking, well, at least Hamilton can take signs then because had he done that, exactly as signs was predicting on the radio, he knew he would be making himself vulnerable to the guys behind him that were going to be pushing. Oh, um, yeah. and, and just giving Leclerc that extra little bit. And again, let's remember the piece of this that, that I think has to be made clear is Leclerc was in like he, he was driving an injured car from the second restart, right? He and Perez yeah. made contact with each other. He damaged his front wing. He was lucky enough that it came apart. So he didn't have to go and get a completely new wing put on or they chose not to. Um, but as a result, he did not have the same consistent downforce. And so there were parts of the track he was vulnerable in and Carlos knew that. And I think give Carlos full credit, you know, maybe it's against the, Ferrari team first code, but Carlos Sainz wanted his first victory. He knew he had the car to do it and he knew he had a, a vulnerable racer uh, in front of him and he took advantage of that. And yeah. I think that if you flipped it around and you honestly tell me Charles wouldn't have done the same thing, you're full of shit. Cause he yeah, would no kidding. Yeah. And so here's the question that I kind of thought of was, do you think because of what happened at the Canadian Grand Prix where Sainz theoretically should have caught up a little bit closer to Verstappen, but because he didn't and last, even last week, I was kind of thinking, I was like, I wonder if that was Leclerc, if Leclerc would have caught him. So do you think Ferrari had any doubt that signs would be able to pull this off? And that's why they asked him to give 10 laps to, to Leclerc. But I mean, this, so if this, if this shows Ferrari, anything is that they got two dogs in there. Now they got absolutely. two guys that can oh, yeah. absolutely win with a killer instinct and they should be happy. I know they had to calm down Leclerc after, because obviously he's going to be upset. He didn't get fresh tires. He was on the shitty side of that uh, um, strategy, but now you have two guys to go after Verstappen. Like this weekend should have been like Ferrari going, we are in a very good spot right now. I know that these guys are going to start racing each other and signs and Leclerc raced each other at the end. It wasn't like, Ferrari said, Hey, Leclerc is faster. Just let him go by. I said, no, those guys were side to side on two or three of those corners. And it was, Oh, it was chaotic and exciting. And I loved every single minute of this race. Leclerc also had a broken wing for most of the race. Yeah. Like, the, you know, yeah. So he only lost downforce and, and it wasn't a key part of the wing, but it could have, yeah, it could have went, it could have went the other way for him, but, uh, and then I we was surprised he didn't get, he didn't get any penalties for, Right, it, it did break off clean, uh, as Jordan yeah. was saying. Like, so it, it was, wasn't, it wasn't yeah, in the most flat anyway. but which we saw happen to Perez. And maybe we just, I don't mean to step on your toes, Braden, but let's just take a second to acknowledge just a, another a, great come from behind. It's a good Perez. segue. Yeah. It's a great Ooh, Sergio Perez. Sergio Perez has done this multiple times. His first victory in Formula One came on a race where he literally was pushed all the way back to last place again because of an, a car issue and then worked his way through the field. That was back with Racing Point, won his first ever Grand Prix. He is known to do this, and we all know he's in the second fastest car out there. So we saw Max's car struggle, but 
Perez, for all intents and purposes, had a perfectly functional car. He just had to work through the field. This is a track you can overtake on, and he did it. And I think what was interesting, you could even kind of tell in, in, in how it was presented on television, all the conversation to that point had become Hamilton versus the Ferraris because that's what yeah. the race had been. But the minute that safety car came out, that played oh. perfectly into Perez's hand because he bunched them up, closed the gap. He was never going to make up at a regular race pace. And all of a sudden, you've given the second fastest car on the track a, a clean shot at in his mind, I'm sure he was looking at the, a chance to win. Um, unfortunately, oh, yeah. he got into a, a three-way dog fight for second by the end of it. And Carlos was able to build a gap, but truly Sergio Perez uh, deserves a lot of credit. He won driver of the day, but he really, I think he does better, frankly, when he's not up at the front, he seems to, he just seems to, when he's got a little bit more incentive um, uh, in a comeback situation, he always seems to do well. So big, big, big shout out to him. Huge race for him. Absolutely huge. I was a little upset when uh, Ocon had that um, failure and they had to do the, the safety car because I was like, damn, this is perfect for Perez. And I did not want Red Bull to have another win. Yeah, totally. But I was like, man, this is like, if he, any dream scenario, that was it for Perez. And he took advantage of it. And it's like just him and Hamilton and Leclerc fighting on those like last four laps. And when Hamilton made that pass, so Leclerc and Perez, Perez was just about to pass Leclerc and those two were fooling around on this side. Hamilton just goes shooting by crowd goes crazy. Oh my goodness. What a, what a moment that was for the people at um, the British open there, the, whatever they call it. The Britain's the British Grand Prix. British Grand Prix. Silverstone. Yeah. <laughs> Silverstone, yeah. It's, it was like, yeah, it was wild. That, that car changed everything for that race, but great for Perez. And also Mick Schumacher came from 18th starting grid all the way up to ninth. Like he had, awesome. he had some help with five DNS or was it six DNS? Six. So yep, six. certainly some help, but let's, let's talk about, I mean, we haven't even talked about the most exciting, craziest crash we've seen all season with an upside down flying car. Um, I, yeah. Continue. I, I, I hate that they take forever to like talk about the drivers after that. It took like about an hour and a half about how after that red, like you didn't hear anything. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You didn't see anything. You didn't hear anything. The last moment you saw, you saw them taking turn three in the regular camera and you just saw this upside down car going around in the background Fine. and you're just going, Holy shit. And then you don't hear anything for about an hour and a half. Like if you were his family back home or someone that's like close to him, you'd be sick to your stomach right now because you just have no information at all. And it's, there's gotta be, I feel like there has to be a better way for them to be like, we are now like, like you see it in NFL basketball is like, okay, we're now seeing him move his fingers. We're now seeing him do this. Like they had him out of the car. It's like, okay, he's out of the car. Now he's like on a stretcher, do they like just little details just to make us not constantly thinking about, is this guy dead? Like, is that why they're not talking about him? Like, well, the craziest part of it was that it, like, not only did he fly upside down, uh, he spun, tumbled over the barrier into the the cage where the uh, the, the the stands are, where the the the, audio, the fans are. Yeah. Uh, and then kind of gets buried in there, and then and then that's all that we see. Yeah. And then no one says anything for like an hour and a half because they obviously don't want to show it because you don't want to continue showing somebody dying. Like that would not be okay. But you don't you don't need to show it. You can just give us like a little hey he's doing this now or he's in the medical car. This is that because it was just nothing. It was talking about everything else except for that. But that's all you're kind of thinking about. And it, it, they didn't even say anything about Albon either. Like, I didn't realize he had to go to a hospital for precautions. Like, I didn't, yeah, I, didn't I didn't know that until that. after the race. And I was like, oh, okay. But it was good to see him up and walking around after. I don't know what George Russell was trying to do or thinking that he could accomplish. 
Um, I, th- I think when you're in a situation like that, you you're just trying to help the guy. You, you, I think when you see something that bad happen, you, sure. I but like, does he have a superhero ability we don't know about? Like, because nah, he could have brought but, his car around. If he didn't get out of his car, he could have brought it around and probably well, finished the race. It's interesting because okay, so uh, two things I want to touch on. One is the replay thing. I'll get to that in a second with you. But the, the, the George Russell thing for me is, is interesting because apparently this is not the first time he's done this in a, in a race mm. situation. Apparently back in karting when he was like 15, a guy was in a really serious crash, pulled his car over to the side of the road, wasn't involved in the incident at all, just pulled over, jumped out of his cart and pulled the guy out of the cart before the medical wow. team even got there. Like, I think it was just, he was just working off instinct, which is, I was concerned just for, knows for a fellow state. driver. He knew this was bad. And he thought, if I can do anything, I can do something. I'll try to help. But obviously, yes, it cost him his race because maybe he could have got the car back there i think to be honest with you his expectation was he would be allowed to get back in the car and drive it back that's a big question mark i don't know if that's a thing it sounded like had he been able to turn his car on and drive back missing an entire tire uh and um, again let's remember this is is the first yeah but okan never stopped he was in constant motion right the difference here is you're starting an f1 car from literally an off uh, engine off position, turning it on, you're riding on a rim and you've got, you're on turn, you're, you're literally on corner one. So you've got the whole track to, to, to get the background. I don't know if it was realistic anyway. The point being, uh, yes, clearly watch it. I don't know if you've seen the, there's a new photo that came out this morning um, in the, in the broadcast, you could see him kind of running. Yeah. Uh, if you can call what he was doing running across the gravel um, to cute, try to get it? to the fence. Right. But then they, they didn't, they didn't show any more replays. Um, but then there's now a photo. Apparently not only was he the first guy on scene, but he like climbed up on top of the tire barrier and was oh, like wow. down making sure Zhao was conscious. There's a photo of him up on top of the barrier calling in the marshals who are all kind of going, how the hell do we get this guy out of this car? But there so, was guys when he was running over there. If you look at it, there was a guy running beside him. There was another yeah F1 running guy. to his car. But he beat them to that. I mean, again, I, 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 again, those I don't long know you, lanky strides. Yeah, it's like he's like some kind of drunken deer. Um, <laughs> look, so the he replay pranced. thing is interesting. he pranced over there. He didn't run. The he replay pranced thing is there. interesting. This is a traditional thing now in Formula One, probably for the last 15, 20 years, that this has become a broadcasting standard. They don't want to show uh, an incident that could have had someone die. It's the same prank in NASCAR. That. I was looking this up. Yep. They don't want to, and not because I think that there's any fear of like, uh, snuff film idea of it. No, it's respect for give, the families exactly. and stuff. And as you said, what would how, what was that family thing the whole time? Absolutely, it must be absolutely excruciating and horrifying. My hope is that the first people contacted by. Uh, like the team and the people who are in direct radio contact with those people would be their families, or at least if something did seriously go wrong, they would be the first people contacted before the entire world is told on a national broadcast or an yeah. international broadcast for that matter. But the point being, yes, I think there's definitely a conversation that needs to continue to happen about like, how do, how do the broadcasters work through this? This isn't the same thing where like, they don't want to show streakers because they don't encourage something yeah. this is more about respect and, and and dignity and all that and i get that but i do think you're right it took a really long time and i think there is an element of like um not not making it worse because in the end obviously it was a great result i mean it's the best result you could possibly hope for he walked away i mean frankly alex albon was in worse shape and yeah. was in what what appeared to be a less severe a- accident he mm-hmm. did hit a concrete barrier instead of but look the car did everything it was supposed to do the safety things that all it could be 
I'm sure that they probably found out he was safe and then double checked before they told everybody, but yeah, no, it's definitely, we don't see it very often. It's like once every couple of years, we get a crash of yeah. that magnitude. And obviously, you know, Grosjean being the most recent example of a really serious one where I'm sure in that moment, they were completely convinced they had just watched someone's life. Oh yeah. That was a scarier one. That was even, I think that like, was even worse. That fire. But when you Air watch, fire. as you say, like I, I was on tape delay watching it as a PVR, but regardless, I, I rewound before I f- started fast forwarding and I, I rewound to just see what it looked like live. And you could see it upside down. And in that moment I went, Holy shit, this isn't good. Like that car should not be traveling like that and no. for that distance. But again, the halo saved his life without question. And the, and the fence saved a lot of probably people in the stands life. So look, F1 should get a big pat on the back for doing the right thing. Safety wise. This is a good example of why these things are important. Yeah. I think all of those, Guys, Christian Horner included, who complained about the halo when it came in, are idiots. I mean, this is just the well, proof in the how, pudding. What right? are they thinking now? Like, how have they not come out? Like most of them, been like, hey, we were wrong. This is smart. We should always listen to the FIA. No, of course, but these kind of people don't do that. But it is a great reminder to all of those people out there afraid of change for the sake of something. It's like sometimes we can't see the future, but sometimes we we make good decisions in the best interests of what the yeah. future could be. And also, Christian Horner, safe. Christian Horner, you're not in the car. No, exactly. So, exactly. Like, stop talking about and it. And I do want to say, uh, just you know, because it's important to mention. As I said, Alex Albon was taken to hospital. Uh, he 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 was in the sort of the the chain reaction incident behind where you know um, Bottas kind of slowed down, obviously trying to avoid contact. He slowed down and then got rear-ended by Sebastian Vettel. Probably couldn't even see what was going on ahead of him. Uh, he hit the concrete barrier on a part of the track that they're not expecting a crash, right? Like you don't yeah. usually have a, a, a that severe of an impact on the pit straight. Um, yeah. So obviously, you know, I, but I would say like there's definitely going to be a, a post-mortem on this whole situation, looking back at what what didn't what didn't work, and um, obviously the catch fence worked, but why did the car launch up like that in the first place is a question did did they need a another layer of um of the the tire wall you're about 50 feet into a gravel runoff anyway so there's a lot of you know those kind of things just make the sport safer and luckily for Zhao, he's safe and yeah, that's how it yeah. goes i mean it's to see something like that and have the guy be totally fine and excited to get back in the car this weekend is yeah. is good to see but uh, russell was a little upset about the fact that the car uh was positioned the way it was like he so he came out and said i know it's safe and everyone got away unscathed but there's got to be some reason that like or something to stop that car from landing the way it was because yeah. of the way that Zhao was wedged in there yeah uh so they, they'll probably take that uh and, and change something learn learn yeah. from it so it's yeah. it's yeah i have a question for Scary. you this is i mean it doesn't matter much now in the in the in the end of it all but let's go back to the actual incident and i, I mean you're a gasly fan but when you looked at that incident as a, in a moment like could anything could any of those drivers done something different first off give nicholas latifi credit great great job getting off the line he split mm-hmm. those right two through. drivers yeah. right from the beginning but yeah. then it looked in the replay like gasly saw that hole and went holy shit if if nicholas has gone right through there i should take the same line i don't know if russell could have seen him did see him didn't see him did russell turn into him or was it just a bit too aggressive a move like what do you think I think like I, his back end got pushed out. Yeah. yeah. I, it, like, it, I think it's one of those things where this is the most dangerous part of a race is that is the lights out. That next 30 seconds is the most dangerous part about a race in terms of your driver crashing or getting like thrown off the course. Um, so I, I mean, yeah, it was a little bit of an aggressive move, uh, but also I like, you don't know where these guys are looking because there's so many things happening at that moment that it was okay. I'm in my right mirror. There's someone coming across in the left. And, but that like, it's no. kind of weird to say, like, it's tough to defend 
what guy because guys I think he did try to squeeze in a little bit too much, but then the there's no way you can predict the everything else that's going to happen after that. Well, and again, I don't so think it's terrifying. about fault because in no. the end, you could also not have anticipated Zhao's car just flipping over yeah. like a you know like like no. it did. I mean, that thing just it it caught the tire of Ga- of, of 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 Russell in the wrong way and just completely flopped over instantly. Like there was no you know, it, it is what it is now, but I guess, yeah, one of those situations, as you say, it's a, they called it a racing incident. It certainly is the beginning of races are the most exciting and equally the most dangerous. So, yeah. And it does, it sucks a lot for Albon too, because one, he didn't really get mentioned at all in this. Like he yeah, kind of was an overthought and like an oversight because everyone was so worried about Zhao. Um, and he all, they just upgraded that car. The yeah. Williams just upgraded their car. They were, they were fixing to have a good weekend and well, it uh, turned out well for Latifi. For Latifi. Yep. Yeah. 100%. So it was, it would have <laughs> yeah. been nice to see what Albon can do um with with that but yeah unfortunately that team was they had a uh, no points this weekend because that so speaking of upgrades there i teed it up for you Bryn. mclaren <laughs> no come on <laughs> norris finished six man russell had a brand new teed up or a brand new souped up car too and so did oh, Mercedes. obviously good. it's yeah. working right yeah. Yeah. i told yeah. you last week when we previewed this i expected this would be a weekend where we saw mercedes come back in force because this is obviously home track for home that track. team that they're built out of Brat- brackley they're a really good team on this track lewis obviously home it, it everything matters here. both of them lewis and russell Absolutely. But for Hamilton, he's dominated this track and he loves it and it works perfectly. The car looks fantastic. They've done very subtle, but important changes to the floor. Um, It was interesting. I was listening to an interview on a different podcast that I won't mention, Um, but I was listening to a different F1 podcast talk and it was an interview with one of the chief engineers at Mercedes and they were talking about some of the struggles they've had. And Tyler, I think last week you had mentioned that it was interesting. You were kind of like, did, did Lewis sort of self-sabotage himself all year? Like he, mm. he just sort of moved to Russell's setup in Canada and all of a sudden found success. And it was interesting because they kind of asked the same question. They said, what changed for Lewis? And he said, right from the beginning of the year, once they knew this car wasn't where they expected it to be, Lewis was the guy who came forward and said, give me all of the most radical changes you want to make let me try to figure this out and they used russell as more of a bench line this was just their strategy internally and i don't know if that was just a seniority thing or it's what lewis wanted but apparently there was a conversation that was had that lewis was going to try the more aggressive aero package changes or the more aggressive downforce changes or all of those kind of things up to a specific point and then as they honed in on where their specific struggles were those cars got closer and closer and they moved back towards what russell's baseline had been based on what they found they liked in lewis and moved to russell and vice versa point being it sounds like that was a hundred percent it they are doing exactly what their program was designed to do they right. had hoped i think to see better results sooner it's not like there there was no way they were like oh no this is exactly where we expected to be they are struggling they know they've struggled they haven't caught up to where ferrari and red bull are but they're trying to figure out exactly what it is and they're not gonna you can't just throw it out at this point you've got to try to make the best of this car and then obviously you you, you turn some attention to next year but it's interesting to hear that because i think you definitely had me thinking last week, well, yeah, that is kind of weird that Lewis is the one that's been doing this considering, you know, you'd assume he'd be the one in there that they'd want to kind of get the most results out of, but obviously he's the one who wants to see maybe that it's just what it has been, but it's worked for him. Now they've got a, an absolute 
rocket on their hands on straightaways. They just have to figure out what to do in slow pace corners because that's still the place that they're struggling. They don't, they can't carry the pace through the same way the Ferraris and the Red Bulls do. But wasn't it fun to see oh, what yeah. he was doing against those two Ferraris at the end of that oh, yeah. race? Because it was like, this is where, this is what we wanted with these new cars. We wanted more of a fight at the top. And ironically, we ended up with a two team fight. It wasn't the two teams necessarily we expected. We want it to be a three or two, four team fight. And after the safety car, this wasn't just Mercedes, Ferrari, and Sergio oh. Perez. This was Alonso was in Alonso the mix. Alonso was just Morris was in there. the mix. Yeah. They were all waiting to pounce and they were all right there on top of each other. And that's what makes this great. This is what we want to see. We need more and more of this, right? Every time you get 100%. a safety car late in the race, you're like, every car should be competitive coming out of that. And they were. Yeah. And it's, it's it is kind of one of those, like, it's a catch 22. You don't want a safety car because it's kind of, it, sure. So yeah, it, I don't know, it cheapens it a little bit, but oh, at right, the same yeah. time, this is how you get, yeah, this is how you get those finishes. Um, it would have, I still think the finish would have been exciting just the way that Lewis was 18.8 seconds ahead of the Ferraris and it was a 19 second pit lane. So yeah. like everything kind of would have still been exciting, but you, you it would have been Hamilton and the two Red Bulls. Well, whereas Hamilton's now- pit- Hamilton's pit stop was 4.5 seconds. Four, that, was that's, very slow. that's what cost him the win. It wasn't the, the restart. Yeah. He would have come out probably right in the middle of those Ferraris or right on top of them, even yeah. before the, the, the safety car. It would have been a different race. You're absolutely right. Uh, unfortunately, absolutely. it's just what it was. So yeah. I was also but then it ended up being sorry, so then it ended up being with those with Alonso and with Norris, right? But, and Alonso, uh, Alonso, Fernando Alonso at the end. I don't know if you guys uh, heard his interview or anything, but they're just like, yeah, what'd you think at the end? He's like, I was just, why I, I was licking my chops, just yeah. waiting for one of these guys to make a mistake because I, I could smell the podium and Hamilton wasn't, this is also the thing that we can, we've learned. I've learned about myself. I will say is that for a while it has been Hamilton always winning these races. And some people just go like, is it, is that good for the sport? And now that Hamilton has been out of it and he's, and he back this weekend, I was like, yes, we absolutely need Lewis Hamilton in this sport. Mm-hmm. He is the driving force of all the excitement around yeah. Formula One, and this was a perfect weekend to like to to like see that. Hundred percent. And, and I wanted to ask a question just before we move on from that, Braden, and I'll ask it to both of you. When you saw the pit stop and the way that Hamilton was able to push those medium tires, I believe an extra twelve to almost fifteen laps yeah. beyond the Ferraris why on earth would Mercedes not at that point take a slight gamble and put another set of used mediums on? They didn't use them in qualifying. They had only the intermediates on. So you've got good tires available to you. You put on the hards, fine. You want to get to the end of the race, but you've just pointed out you can drive 35 laps. Yeah, you didn't need the hards. Why would you go to hards? Like I was screaming at the TV, but I was like, why the hell would you put on the hards? Like I thought they were going to go soft. I think there was like 12 or 22 laps left. And I was yeah. like, oh, they're just going to go medium again because he's so much faster than everybody else or yeah. soft. And then yeah. they went hard. And I'm now, going, the one thing we learned about the soft, the though, because they did put on the soft coming out of the safety car and Hamilton couldn't get slow. them lit up. They were very, very slow. slow to warm up. But yeah. the thing with the with the mediums was that he pushed them so far, you easily could have gone the race distance mm-hmm. on the medium tires. Now, I felt that I, again, was with you. I was very, like, come on, guys. Why wouldn't you be a bit more aggressive in this situation? Then they have a 4.5 second stop and it wouldn't have mattered. Anyway, yeah, it wouldn't matter. He anyways, still would have yeah. been behind, but. Yeah. Wouldn't it have been fun, man? If he'd gotten those tires on and the correct time, we would have had a different conversation. And I mean, that's what this comes down to split second decisions, interesting choices, whether you agree with the decisions or not. And then of course it's sometimes it's all about the pit stop. Right. And how many times is we've, have we seen a, a perfect race get spoiled by a bad pit stop? Can we talk about max for a second before we finish with this race, Braden? Yeah. What the hell happened to his car? 
Well, how many times on the show throughout the year have we talked about the fact that as great as these new cars have been, especially the Red Bulls and Ferraris, how often have we seen it, it, it all come down to, to, you know, inconsistent engineering, right? Like they have a problem with their fuel and then they have an overheating issue and then they have a, you know, a hydraulic fuel problem. And then they sort of seem to have figured everything else out. The thing with this car right now is that it's, they're, they're, they've always been fragile, but it just yeah. feels like they're more fragile in a little bit because it's the first year of these cars. It's like, they haven't quite figured out how to make them as durable as necessary. I mean, he hit a curb, took up a bit of carbon underneath the car, caused enough damage from that to literally knock almost a full second and a half lap time off for the rest of the race yeah. and ends up dropping all the way down to seventh. You're the championship leader and you, your car fails you that dramatically. That's, that is a tough pill to swallow for Red Bull's sake. Thank God Sergio was able to maximize mm -hmm. points for them in, mm -hmm. in terms of the constructors. Staff, the groups. <laughs> It's, it's crazy, right? It's, uh, it's just like, it, I mean, I, I have no sympathy for him. I have no, no. sympathy for anyone at Red Bull, but I, it's certainly I, as a, as a, as a God, observer no. of the sport, it's, it's perplexing how inconsistent that, that, or, or as fragile as that, that Red Bull has been. You know, yeah. I was surprised that he wasn't as ballistically irate as he usually is on the, on the calm when that happened. He just went, my car's broken. <laughs> yeah, he was, I think he, I think he was very confused, but I, I, I thought he was going to blame somebody for that because everyone was talking about how there was some debris out on the track and yeah. i thought he was going to whine and complain about it a bit more but he didn't so it was hey, probably sonoda's fault right uh so right, let's talk about i let's before we leave this weekend let's talk about alpha tori and yuki sonoda and what you yuki has been doing this year and his failure to do what like you keep want up him with gasly <laughs> i i do not the more and more as this season goes on, and especially what he did in this race, I am not sure that Yuki Tsunoda is going to be in that Alpha Tori car next season. And he's not signed, so they've signed Gasly. He's there next year. But for Yuki to try to pass Gasly, they were both in the points. Mm -hmm. And for him to try to pass Gasly, spin out, and end up taking both of them out is unacceptable for a guy who is on Yuki Tsunoda's level and a guy that's on Gasly's level. Gasly is your number one guy. Gasly has won you a race within the last three years and been on multiple podiums. Yuki Tsunoda has got you points. That is it. And for him to absolutely ruin that entire day for them is unacceptable. Coming out of a pit stop in Canada where you coming out of the pit stop and you run into a wall is unacceptable. I don't know. He has to save his season if he wants to save his career. Yeah, I mean, guys make mistakes all the time right well he's making mistakes all the time yeah he's, <laughs> yeah he's also he's also holding himself responsible and accountable for those mistakes he's 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 Is he though because he was in the, he apologized like, for for taking gasly out he knew he, that okay. that was the wrong thing to do because in the race his no his, shit in this conversation to the his director his race team director he was angry and i'm yeah. like why are you angry? you right now should be saying oh my god i'm so sorry oh my god i'm so sorry but like you were both in points. Both of you were in the points. All you had to do was get to the end. And he ended, ended up causing, causing Gasly his entire race too. After being hit like that, something on his car went and he had to put it in. So both in the points is the best way to wrap this up, Braden. Haas gets double points 
not only for the first time this year, it's Michael, or pardon, Mick Schumacher, Freudian first slip. Ever Mick Schumacher's first ever points. Yeah. Uh, Magnuson and 10th. Remembering neither of them qualified in the top 10. Now, sure, there helps. Six cars didn't finish. That helps. But you have to then stay on the track. And you have to, and they were right in the middle of that melee on track one. Oh, yeah. They for getting out of that. One. For getting yeah. out of that as a win to begin with, they're yeah. able then to turn that into some great racing. Schumacher and Verstappen at the end. Awesome. Awesome. Literally pushed him to the yeah, line. Like yeah. He was, he was looking down P seven uh, so aggressively and so fantastic. I thought, unbelievable. He was, you know, one more lap he would have had for sure. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. For sure. And I don't know if you saw the quote from Vettel, but Vettel says, I've, uh, he, he said, I haven't been this excited in a race car in years, looking up the track, seeing him succeed. Isn't that great? Yeah, right. That awesome. He's yeah. like, he's his mentor. He was a friend of his father, who of course was his hero and mentor. And now you've got him being sort of the elder statesman and, and looking out for, for, for Mick. Um, Cause obviously his father isn't there and it's a, just a beautiful thing. The two German guys there finished eighth and ninth and it was so special for Schumacher. I don't know if you saw the post game or post race uh, celebration too, like at the Haas garage, they had champagne pop. They were oh, all I didn't see that. That's each awesome. Other. It was all the Schumacher clan was there. His sister nice. was there. They made him, it was as if he'd won the, the race itself. Um, and sure, you know, what you say, what, whatever you want about like, Oh, you only finished an eight. Yeah. He finished an eight. No, he hasn't no, done don't that say yet. that. Don't say that. You are not an F1 so. fan. If you say that, exactly. say he finished exactly. an eighth. That's awesome. And then and Haas you, had both their drivers there. Their best result of the year. Yeah. And if you do like, like just kind of using something in F1, uh, to get yourselves through the week breaks, the two week breaks is go back and listen to his radio after he finished eighth. Yeah. You, it is the happiest person in the yeah. world. It's awesome to listen to. Well, and think about the struggles Haas has had in the last few years. They're starting to finally see results. They're getting points this year. Having Kevin Magnuson back is just an absolute gift yeah. um, that, that has given them such a rejuvenation, but it's very similar. It reminds me of, uh, I believe it was last year when Russell got the first points of his career for, for, Williams, obviously he'd gotten points when he was in the Mercedes, but when he got his first points for Williams, what it meant to yeah. that team, a team that is desperate just to get points every race, it means so much more to them than the guys fighting up at the top because it's, oh, yeah. it, it's a, they're in a different, they're, they're running a different race. Yeah. Um, and for them, that was, that was the biggest victory they could have possibly asked for and great I result, right? He was in tears. I think after that, oh, absolutely. After he got his points. so emotional. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So go I mean, back and listen to, uh, to Schumacher's, uh, car radio after he crosses the finish line. Man, that guy's so happy. He's, he's it was awesome. Okay, guys, that was the British Grand Prix. This episode of the Pit Stop Podcast is brought to us by Busy Bee Vegan Skincare. Busy Bee is an all-natural skincare line dedicated to healthy vegan plant-based skincare and overall wellness. They offer a selection of handcrafted body scrubs, butters, and washes that not only make your skin glow but smell amazing. Their unique all-natural scents include gingerbread, ruby grapefruit, caramel cake, and morning latte. So why not treat your skin to something fresh and all-natural? Head over to shopbusybevegan.com today. And as a special bonus, Busy Bee is offering listeners of this podcast a 15% discount on your first order with the code ORDINARYPODCASTS. Uh, our next race is the Austrian Grand Prix. In um, Austria, of course, it's the Red Bull Ring. What would you what would you call this? A conventional track? It's there's not many chicanes. We've got some tight turns, three DRS zones. It's very small. It's it's a very short lap, but it's a high speed lap. Um, a lot of 
lot of teams have really found success here and really enjoy driving it. You've got sort of some more uphill um, and downhill sections than we see on a few tracks. It's Austria. You're in the Alps. I mean, it makes sense. You'd have some hills, um, which makes it a lot more fun. There's basically a section there. I think you do like two right-handers at the top of a hill, turn around and basically you're on a bobsled shoot down the backside of the mountain. It, it is a high speed uh, hill into a tight turn at the bottom. You've got to really be careful about that quick corner, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, one of those tracks that because it's short, uh, it, it, it qualifying means a lot. Obviously there's not a, a, a huge amount of overtaking space, but there, there are some good racing opportunities there. If these, and, and, and this is one of those tracks I'd be excited to see what these new cars can do at, because it's one of those tracks that has some interesting spaces for driving in close quarters. Yeah. The, the, this track, the first half re- rewards power. So if you have the power train in your car, that's first half is those, those uh, three straightaways. And then the last half is, is basically like a water slide or a, a toboggan course or something. It's a, a lot of turns on the downhill. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's uh, Austrian. it'll be, uh, <laughs> It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Here's a, here's, well, here's an interesting one for you. I don't, uh, Verstappen, Verstappen won one. Yeah. And then Bottas was second. Yeah. Here's the, here's the interesting thing though. The, the current lap record for this track is held by one Carlos Sainz when he was hey. driving for McLaren. No, so it's Carlos not. It says, it says here, Kimi Reckonen has it 2018. No, no the Ooh. current rap lap record, Carlos Sainz holds it from the 2020 wow race and is uh in a much faster car a much better car this year if he likes this track at all he's going to have much better he should have much better success and i would be looking for that that lap time to to be pushed although to be fair uh, we haven't talked a lot about this these cars are slower on the whole than the previous generation of cars Mm. obviously when when you're only competing against them at the same time it's hard to see the difference but when you look at lap times historically you can kind of see which years the cars were and weren't faster these cars are about two seconds slower uh, on average per lap uh, across the f1 circuit certain lap tracks obviously seem to favor them they're very stiff cars they're a little bit longer obviously and they're a bit heavier so there's a bit of a bit of a discrepancy we'll see if carlos can push that that lap record or not but he seems to like the track so he's in great form after canada race he could have won winning in in great britain i would be saying look out for carlos signs if i was a betting man yeah i'd be wanting yeah. I'd, I'd be wanting carlos to have a good weekend again and now they know he can do it so they're gonna let him they're gonna let him fly it's gonna be interesting to see what these ferraris do now with their uh, strategies because both these guys now think that they can win well they know they can win. Yeah, <laughs> it's different. Both these guys now they know can. they can. They win. know yeah. they can win, right? That's the big yeah. thing is that uh, they they have they have now both proven it. And I would say we we you know we kind of had like a hypothetical conversation a few weeks ago about like oh what does this mean that Perez is starting to push Max? Max is Nothing. the number one driver there. <laughs> yeah, Ferrari doesn't technically have a number one driver because neither guy has won anything at this yeah. point, right? They, Charles has obviously been there longer. He's won more races. He's the number one guy, sure. But at some point during the season, if Carlos starts to push and wins a few more races here, we're having a serious conversation about where Ferrari puts the priority. And I would also argue Ferrari has not set themselves up well for that conversation. No. I know that they are going to find themselves in a very tricky internal battle with some very strong personalities. Carlos, who is a much sort of cooler head, but definitely knows what he wants. And Charles, who can completely go off at, uh, at a moment's notice. He's, he's not unlike Max Verstappen where he does not have a, he, he has no filter and fear of expressing his frustration. We saw that we've heard that on the radio. Um, and it will be very interesting to see how Ferrari manages this. We saw at the end of the Grand Prix um, Benito, the, the yeah. team principals having a word uh, with, with Leclerc trying to, I'm sure calm him down. Cause I'm sure he was frustrated with how that the race finished, whether he blamed anyone, but he was, I think very much saying, do not, 
spoil this for Carlos. This is important for the 100%. team. You have yeah. to make sure that we are team first here. They're going to go into this race looking for a one-two, but they have not had the same kind of team dynamics that Red Bull has. And I would know it could be fun. And it's so going like going back to Ferrari when you said you're uh, that they're not set up for a conversation about who is being told to pass. Who you're right because when in this past race when they wanted to swap Leclerc for signs you brought this up earlier is they just kept telling them lap time you have to make this lap time you have to make instead of being like get out of the way yeah, because they can't they, in like ferrari exactly yes yeah, so like just get out of the way it's clear what's happening here so yeah. i say right now out of team dynamic in terms of like these top tier cars and teams ferrari is in a world of hurt in managing those two guys and, and right now you have to say that red bull is probably in the best spot because you have perez who is shown nothing but be a team, a team leader and a team guy. I get that he's going to be faster, but he's still not, he still knows that it's a max. This is a max thing. And signs is only 11 points behind Leclerc right now in the standings. And don't forget, this is also, this is also Red Bull's second home race, right? So obviously yes. they are a British based team out of Milton Keynes because of mm. where the team's headquarters were before they were Red Bull, but Red Bull is an Austrian brand. This is the Red Bull ring. Yeah. This is a huge and important race for that brand. The people of Austria are big fans of this team. There will be a lot of orange. There will be a lot of orange flares for Max Verstappen. People are going to get excited about it out there. This is going to matter to Red Bull. They're not going to be happy with how this weekend went, with the exception of obviously Sergio limiting the damage, but their number one driver struggled with the car, which mm -hmm. they know they will take personally. Max will want to bounce back. It should, it, it's, set, it's set up. The table is set. This should be an awesome race. Yeah, and an awesome second half of the season if Mercedes can continue what they're doing. This is not a track that's going to favor Mercedes the same way these this one has. This is a track that has more slower corners, but they found a little bit of success. Can they build on that? Can Mercedes get more involved in this fight at the top? Can Russell bounce back after being knocked out again? Not really any fault of his own. It's just a situation where cars came together. He will be frustrated. He'll be hungry. Alonzo is going to be in on the conversation. There's going to be lots of drivers who are sitting here uh, waiting for an opportunity. Tyler made the joke about Alonzo and how excited he was at the end of the race thing. Man, it was right there for us. I watched his interview at the end of qualifying and he was like, yeah, we didn't have a very good pace today. Our job is to just stay on the track and hope that there's some issues ahead of us. Pretty much what happened. Yeah. Alonzo exactly is a happened. veteran for a reason. He knows how oh, yeah. this game is played. So we'll see. Okay, well let's uh, let's let's get ready for it. We've got the uh, qualifying on the eighth, with a sprint qualifying going on the ninth, uh, and the race taking place Sunday the tenth, seven six a.m. Pacific, seven Mountain. Uh, set your PVR because I I will not be getting up that early for this race, but uh, and set it with like three hours uh, later too, yes. so that just in case there's another red flag. You've got the whole race recorded. Um, thank you, gentlemen. Pitstop Podcast is a presentation of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. 
We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.